St. John chapter 21, look at verse 1, and we'll read 14 verses, if you will. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the sea of Tiberias. Now, that's the Sea of Galilee, but the name Tiberias is the Roman name. In fact, there are another name that it's used sometimes, Genesaret. So when you see the name Genesaret or Tiberias, you'll know it is the Sea of Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, I'm sorry, Simon Peter, Thomas called this twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. There were seven of them in the boat. Simon, or there were seven there. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. And when the morning had now come, that's the breaking of the day. When the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was him or that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? One translation said, have you any breakfast? Have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net, cast the net, that's important, on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, and that's the one that's writing this particular uh, scripture, that's none other than John. It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, drawing the net with them. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have caught or just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. It even gives them the number of fish that was caught, large fish. Although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. Verse 14. Now this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. We ask you to speak it to our hearts. May we walk out of this place today, touched not only by your spirit, but encouraged by your word. In Christ's name, amen. John said this was the third time, third time. It wasn't the third appearance. Jesus, after the resurrection, appeared 12 times. This was the third time to the bulk of the disciples. This was the third time to 
the disciples or the most of the disciples that he appeared to them. Let's read the introduction. Look at, if you do not have an outline, please raise your hand. Brother Steve will make sure you have one. I want everyone to have an outline. I hope you'll study this. It's interesting, very interesting, this study is. If you'll notice the topic for today is come and dine. Now don't lose me with your stomach wanting to go eat as I talk about eating. You know, uh, and it's amazing that I'm preaching this sermon here at Thanksgiving when there will be thousands of tons of food eat during Thanksgiving in this nation. Wow. Don't forget tonight, we're going to have a spread that's going to be great. But I was, I was interested in this and as I was riding down the highway, the Lord spoke this message to my heart and I was interested in the times in the Bible when eating is alluded to. Eating. Of course, the first time that it's very significant is when Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She disobeyed God. And then throughout the scripture, all the way to the end in Revelation where you have the very marriage supper, supper of the Lamb. One of the interesting times where food is mentioned is when the two and a half to three million Jews left Egypt land and they were in the wilderness for 40 years and there God provided food for them. What did he provide? He provided quail. Someone said it was the migrating part of, of the quails where they flew by the hundreds and hundreds of thousands and they flew so long and this was the route that they took and they were so tired when they got to where the children of Israel were they couldn't fly so they just went out and gathered in the quail. I don't know how it was. God could have rained it down from heaven. So they had meat and then they had manna. Now studying the 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 history of manna and, and what it was, it, it was like, it was like a, a meal uh, uh, that was spread on the ground and they went out every morning. Now, you, can you imagine, you go into McDonald's or Bojangles and it's lined up. Can you imagine it's full? But can you imagine two and a half million people having to be fed? So they would go out and rake it up and make meal out of it, they would cook it. Now, Jewish history says that before the manna fell, it's like a frost that was appeared every morning. Before that manna fell, that God would send a wind and clean up the, the debris and a rain, and so he served a clean meal to the Jewish people. Now, what did it taste like? Again, Jewish tradition says it tasted to different people different ways. We do know that it was bitter to the Gentiles. But to the young, in other words, you could say, think whatever you wanted it to taste like, and it would taste like that. To the young, it tastes like, or the kids, it tastes like milk. To the strong, robust teenagers and young people, it tastes like bread. 
To the seniors, it tasted like honey. To the sick, it tasted like oil and honey. So that manna that God sent provided for those people for 40 years. Manna and quail. When you think about food, I think about food when I think about David and Mephibosheth. Most of us know that story, how that Saul's son, Mephibosheth, was crippled. Saul's dead. Jonathan's dead. David takes over the kingdom. And Mephibosheth, being the grandson of Saul, thinks maybe I'm going to lose my head. He's going to have me killed. And so he runs off. They take him off. But David finds him, brings him back. Where does he he put him? At his table to eat with him the rest of his life. And David takes care of him. He said, come on, Mephibosheth, put your feet under my table. How many of you like to put your feet under God's table today? Wouldn't it be great? On and on again, even in the New Testament, Jesus often ate with his disciples. In fact, we find the last, what? Supper. And he ate with the sinners. He ate. So eating is a big part and we, you and I know that eating is a big part of our lives too. But eating was a big part of Jesus' life and not only his life, but his ministry. And then, of course, you have, as I mentioned earlier, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Read with me. This chapter includes one of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. This morning, we're looking at an invitation that Jesus extended to the weakened hearts of some of his disciples after they had spent a long night of fishing. And to these weak hearts, he said, what? Come and dine. The Bible teaches us that Jesus offers us a place of refreshing when we have failed or we are fearful. His love is so great for us that he seeks to renew us. All we have to do is accept his invitation. Jesus said in Revelation also, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He said, if any man will open, I will come in and do what? Sup, eat with him. There you go again. And if you've studied that word, I will come in and sup with him. It's like Jesus serving you the best he's got. In other words, when you sit at his table, you're getting the filet mignon, the best cut. You're getting the best served. Now, I know all this talking about steaks and, and all, I know you'll get hungry, so stay with me. Don't leave me, all right? Notice what we're going to look at. Where Jesus shows up, when Jesus shows up, how Jesus shows up, And number four, interesting, why he shows up. Now, interesting because most of you, many of you are Bible students. You study the Bible. You read the Bible. If you don't, you need to read the word of God. Amen? You need the word. And I've been talking about the last several months how to study the word of God. First of all is the observation. What, it, what does it say? I was listening this week to Chuck Swindoll. He added one to those three. So there's four now. I love Chuck Swindoll, one of the greatest orators ever. 
correlation. Not only what does it say, but what does it say elsewhere throughout the Bible? You study the word of God and you bring it together. So you have observation, correlation, and then you have interpretation. Then you have application. In other words, if we don't apply the scripture to us, so what is John 21 saying? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? It's important that we know these things. First of all, where Jesus shows up, he engages his disciples on the shore of Galilee, not in the synagogue, not in church, not when there's a bunch of preachers gathered together, but they were fishing. They were out on a boat. And that's the thing about Jesus. Jesus wants to show up in our ordinary life. Someone says, boy, I'll tell you, if I can, and, and listen, there's nothing like going to church, enjoying the blessings of the Lord, gathering together and having fellowship. But I'm glad God meets us out there. I'm glad God meets us on our jobs. I'm glad God meets us in the wee hours of the night. Jesus Christ met them on the sea of Galilee. God doesn't appear in a synagogue religious shrine, but they were doing humdrum thing. They were fishing. God meets us in our humdrum lives when things are just just going along. The thing about it, are we sensitive to it? Do I realize God's concern about me right now? Thirdly, Jesus reveals himself in a very regular and ordinary place on the bank of a lake. You say, where will God and when will God meet me? He'll meet you when you dare open up yourself and that we, by faith, expect him. Number two, when Jesus shows up, when does he show up? I want him to show up today, don't you? Let me say it again. I want him to show up today. When you least expect him and also when you most need him. When you least expect him and when you most need him. How many of you met Jesus when you least expected him? You, you had no idea he was going to show up. There's not a one of us here today, I don't believe, that at times in your lives, if you allow him, maybe you were expecting him at times, and he did show up, but there were times when you just weren't expecting him. But when you mostly need him, Jesus Christ will show up. Jesus appears on the shore, but they don't know him. Why didn't they know him? Understand when Jesus was resurrected, what it did to those disciples. They had invested for three and a half years in this ministry. They had put all their eggs in one basket. They had sold out to follow this man. And now he was gone. Now he was not only gone, but they crucified him. They killed him. And Peter looked at the other disciples and he says, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to my old ways. And the disciples said, well, we've got nothing else to do. We're going to go along with you. So seven of these men 
are in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and they fish all night. The nighttime at there was some of the best times for fishing. But they did not know him. The reason we don't recognize Jesus is because we're not expecting him. One of the biggest causes of our blindness is our own self-sufficiency. If I don't need him, he's not going to appear. If I don't need him, if I, if I just said, hey, I can handle this myself, he's not going to appear. It's important for us, we don't look for Jesus because we've learned to get along without him. I don't need you, Lord. I'm doing my own thing, I'm going my own way, and God, I don't need you. Where did Jesus show up? He showed up on the shores, their ordinary lives. When did Jesus show up? When they least expected him or when they really and truly needed him. How did Jesus show up? He said, lads, that's one translation. He said, friends, that's another translation. Did you catch anything? Have you caught anything? Now you fishermen, when you go fishing, you don't want anybody to ask you, did you catch anything? And you got to say no. But they said no because they had toiled and they had fished all night. This was their profession. They knew how to fish, but they had worked and toiled and fished all night, but they had caught nothing. He showed up with affection and love. Some of us don't look for Jesus to appear for fear of his wrath. Now, listen to this. It's important, very important. Peter had denied him how many times? Three times. All the other disciples had left him except John stayed by the cross. So they all had forsaken him. They all had left them. Can you imagine how they felt when he really needed them? They all forsook him. I can imagine they didn't want to see him. I can imagine they thought he was mad at them. Boy, if he ever sees us, he's going to let us have it. I mean, he's going to give us what for? And maybe today you failed God. Maybe today you've been disobedient. Maybe today you've said things you shouldn't have said and thought thoughts you should not have thought. And so you know if I see God, he's going to judge me right up front. I know he's going to get the stick after me. He's going to whip me good. And we're not wanting to see him because we have failed him and we fear what will happen to us. Let me tell you something. The same affection that he expressed to those failed disciples, the same love that he extended to them in their failure, he'll do it for you today. You might say, Pastor, you don't know how I failed the Lord. It doesn't matter. He's calling to you. He's giving you an invitation. Come on and dine. But I broke in his heart. He's still saying, come on and dine. Come and dine. He's giving out that invitation today. Jesus, how did he meet them? He met them with love and affection. He met them not to bring judgment and to put them down but to love them and to lift them up. Number three, he met them 
with instructions. They hadn't caught anything. Notice what he says. He says, cast the net on the right side of the boat. Now there's a great story in this particular statement that is made. In Luke chapter five, Jesus needed to preach and the people had gathered around him so until he wanted to use one of the boats that was on the shore of Galilee. So he beckoned unto Peter and he said, Peter, can I use your boat? And Peter said, yes, you can. He got in the boat and they cast out a little way so the thousands of people on the shore could hear him teach. And so he sat down and he taught them. When he was finished speaking, he said, launch out into the deep and cast your nets out. Now notice in Luke 5, it says to cast your nets out. If you read it, it's plural. In fact, Carol and I looked it up with about 10 translations. Now if you're reading some of the translations, if you're reading if you're reading the New King James or the NIV, it will say net. It will say singular net. But if you look at it and you look at it in the Greek and we studied it in the Greek, you're not the only one taking Greek. I want you to know it, Mr. Britt. (laughs) And the reason I wanted to because I wanted to know the difference between Luke chapter 5 and John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, he looked at the, the disciples or he told the disciples to cast your what? Net on the other side. They cast their net on the other side. They caught so many fish, they drew them up. They were large fish. There was 153 of them and John paid great notice to it. In fact, he said the net didn't rip or the net didn't tear. In Luke chapter five, Jesus told Peter and the disciples to cast your nets out. Peter was discouraged. Peter had fished all night. He had just cleaned up his net. That's a lot of work to do. And here Jesus, which not necessarily a fisherman, was telling these fishermen what to do. And so Peter was a little bit peeved. And so when Jesus told him in Luke 5 to cast your nets out into the deep, Peter said, We've toiled all night, but nevertheless, at your word, I will put down the net. Jesus told him to cast nets. He put down the net. Today, Jesus is speaking to you and I, and he said, cast your nets, and we're just taking little old nets and putting them out. He wants to do big things for us. He wants us to hear what he says. There's a reason Jesus tells us what he tells us and there's a reason he said nets and not net because he knew they were going to catch a lot of fish and when they didn't obey God and they put one net out, the net began to tear and they had to call the other guys over to help them because they were about to lose all their fish because of their disobedience to the Lord. But when Jesus told Peter in John 21 and the disciples to cast their net out, they caught a lot of fish, but their net didn't break because what did they do? They obeyed God. 
God is saying to us today, let's put out some nets. Let's be obedient to him. Let's do what he says. Amen. He gave them instructions. And then in four, here Jesus is reminding them of the first time they realized he was the son of God. Interesting. This is interesting. In Luke 5 is when he began to teach them. In, Luke, in John 21 is when the ministry was about ended. And Jesus took them back to their first experience. Jesus revealed to them that he's still God and he's still filling nets and he's still answering prayer and he's still caring and he's still loving we were in the prayer room this morning and I heard Brother Morris praying for the backsliders. There's a lot of backslidden people. And God wants to take them to back to their first experience with the Lord. That first love. That first passion that they had. Have we lost it? The Bible says taste and see that the Lord is good. Some of us When we were kids, I know mama did. She would say, don't eat that junk food. You're gonna mess up your appetite. You're not gonna have any appetite for the meal. And spiritually speaking, if we're not careful, we've eaten so much junk food until we don't want the good food. This this is the food right here. This is the food right here. He says, and I love this verse, In chapter 119, verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste. How long has it been since it's been sweet to your taste? That we've opened it up and feasted on what God has for us. Or is our time filled up or we're not hungry anymore because All day long we feasted on the devils or the world's junk food. And so I don't want any, you know, we'll sleep while the preacher's preaching or we open the Bible and we just haphazardly go through it. But the psalmist said, this is good to my taste, bud. What a metaphor. What a metaphor. We need to hear the voice of God inviting us to come to the table. Where's the table at? The soul writer said, Jesus has the table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen people, come and dine. With his manna, he doth feed and supplies our every need. Oh, tis sweet to sup with Jesus all the time. The disciples came to land, thus obeying Christ's command, for the master called unto them, come and dine. There they found their heart's desire. Bread and fish upon the fire. Ah, ah, he satisfies the hungry every time. Soon the lamb will take its bride to be ever at its side. All the host of heaven will assemble be. Oh, it will be a glorious sight. All the saints in spotless white and there with Jesus they will feast eternally. What is he saying to you today? What is he saying to me today? He said, come on boys and dine 
Are you, are you sick of the world? Are we suffering from spiritual malnutrition? The devil, does the devil beat us around? Does he talk to us and we yield to him? Are we weaklings? We've not feasted on God's word. We've not feasted on the moving and the power and the manifestation of his Holy Spirit. You see how Jesus shows up. He greets us with affection. He greets us with love and consideration. He reminds us of where we were at one time. Let me ask you, are you where you were five years ago with the Lord? Do we have the same love and affection and desire and passion that we had when we first accepted Jesus Christ? How many of you remember when you first got saved? How on fire for God you were and how, oh, but we've let things slip in. We've got busy with other things and we feasted on all of these things. But God is saying to us today, come and dine. Why Jesus shows up. I'm ending it, look at it. To provide a great revelation. The Bible said, he that Jesus loved, which was John, the one that leaned on his shoulder. You know what's amazing? The one that had an intimate relationship with Jesus is the one that recognized him. It was John. And this great revelation, here he was, he was gone, crucified, dead, buried. Here they are, they're going back to their old way of life. And here they are out there fishing all night long. And they're tired. They're coming into shore. They see this person on the bank. Nobody knows who he is. But there's a fire. He tells them to cast their nets on the right side, their net on the right side. And when they drew it up, John says, That's the Lord. Can you recognize him today? Did we just see the worship leader? Did we just see the pastor? Did we just see a building? Or do we say that's the Lord? He wants to reveal himself to us today. John said that's him. Peter said that is him. He put his clothes on. I don't think he was naked. I think he just had his his outer garments all. He put them on. He didn't walk on water this time, but he jumped in the water and he swam to Jesus. Jesus shows us to create a transformational moment. Let me tell you something. Once you meet Jesus, life is never the same. You have an experience with the Lord this morning. Life is never the same. Everything else becomes secondary. And number three, to comfort the disciples, especially Peter. Now, as Sister Judy comes to the piano, let me talk to you just a little bit about what happened here. Can you imagine this fellowship time? Can you imagine? My wife and I, we try to go to different places to eat. I love, I love to eat. I, my, my diet is where it's, it's all messed up. I can't have sneakers anymore, and that bothers me. But we like to go to different places to eat. I don't like to go to the same place all the time. And we'll go somewhere where it's nice, especially on our anniversary. 
And I think it was our 50th anniversary, we went to this beautiful restaurant where they took you. It's expensive. It's not like the C&H. It took us back here. Like going through a maze. Took us this way. Took us that way. And there's this little cubicle back there and the light candle was going. We sat and goo-goo-died at each other 50 years of marriage. It was a wonderful time. I love to eat and I love special times to eat. Sometimes we'll go to over to Burlington Way and I love the Olive Garden. I like, I like their soup and salad. I love Olive Garden, soup and salad. Get all you want, one price. It's good. I like to go. I, I, I like to go to Chili's. Chili's is a nice place to eat. I, get, I always get the, almost always, not always, but I always get the uh, fajita. They fix you the shrimp and the chicken, all the good stuff that goes together. And they bring out this, what do you call this thing, round thing? It's a little, you put all that in it. And I, I enjoy that. I do like the C&H. And I, I, I do like the Red Lobster and just different places. And I can remember going and, and eating with some very important people. Brother Gerald and I went to Korea and they took us to one of the nicest places. You have to sit on the floor, fold the legs up. Well, they have a little soft pillow there. But I can't imagine sitting with Jesus like the disciples did. It's Red Lobster and Olive Garden and C&H and K&W and All in one. And for the tired, battered, soul like Peter, to hear Jesus say, come and die. Come on, Peter. Forget about your denial. Come on, Peter. Forget you failed me. Forget you cursed. Come on, Peter. I want to talk to you a little bit. But you know, before he talked to him, he fed him. I like that. He had a real conversation with Peter following that meal. Because when they had finished, I don't know where the fish came from. Can you imagine? I don't know where the, 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 the bread came from. I think it came miraculously. I don't think he went and bought it at the Kroger store. I just think it came miraculously. When they'd finished it, they started walking. How do you know they were walking? I'll tell you in a minute. They were just walking. Peter, yes, Lord. You love me? Yeah, I love you. Feed my lambs. All right. Peter? Yes, Lord. You love me? Yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. 
Third time, Peter, yes, Lord, you love me? Lord, you know I love you. You know all things. Feed my sheep. In other words, take what you've learned here. Take what I've taught you. See, all this is no good unless I take it and obey you and tell somebody else about it. There's a lot of hungry lambs. There's a lot of hungry sheep. And Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, come on. You believe what I've taught you? You believe what's happened here today? You believe these miracles has taken place? The 153 fish that you caught, you believe all of this? Yes, Lord, and I do love you. Well, feed my sheep. Take what you've got and give it to somebody else. How did I know they were walking? Because Peter looked behind him. And falling close behind was John the one that's doing the writing. And he said to Jesus, he said, what about him? <laughs> Isn't that the way we are? You know, God's telling us to do something. We want to know, how about Joe? Well, how about those people? They hadn't been to church in three weeks. Well, how about this one? How about that one? Jesus said, listen, listen. If he remains till I come back the second time, what is that to you? We get so concerned about this one and that one and we complain about her and him and we do all of these things and God said, listen, you get your eyes off of them. You put your eyes on me and feed my sheep. And that's that's where the saying came. The Bible says this. That's where the saying came that John was going to live till till Jesus came back again. He didn't say that at all. He said, what if he remains till I come back? And then he said something else, the ending up of this great book. John's one of the greatest books ever written, whether it's in the Bible or out of the Bible, St. John. He said, Peter, you're young. You can go where you want to go and do what you want to do. But there's going to come a day when they're going to take you and they're going to bind you up. And you can't go where you want to go. And you can't do what you want to do. But your death, I love this, love this. Your death is going to be for the glory of God. And most of us know that history tells us that they were going to crucify Peter. And Peter said, not like Jesus, you crucify me upside down. And that was a testimony for the goodness and the grace and the power of God. I see my son. Neil is very active. Neil is a hard working boy. He's worked hard most of his life. He went some places he shouldn't have gone. Did some things he shouldn't do. There was a time he went and did like he wanted to, but now He can't do that. They have to take him and carry him where they want him to go. 
We have to take him and carry him where I think he wants to go, but maybe sometimes he may not want to go. But I'm here to tell you, whether you're young and going where you want to go or whether you're older and you got to do what other people say, God Almighty doesn't change. He's the same yesterday. Brother Morris, I'm glad for this. You and I, I'm trying to catch you. I can't catch you. You, 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 stay, you stay ahead of me all the time with your age. I'm, you, you know. But aren't we glad? Listen at me, folks. Whether you're a teenager in school and you struggle with all kind of things that go on with the, with the, the, the sin and immorality that's in the world today and kids today are tempted every on right and left all the time. God's grace is sufficient. Whether you're middle-aged and you're going through the middle-aged crisis or whether you're 74 years old and God's been so good to you, you feel like, you feel like you don't do it. Running through a troop and jumping over a wall. God doesn't change.